Now stolen by Ross Sanders. Down the lane for the jam. And Mr. Sanders can really fly. And McGrath takes the three on fire with his. They have left the three. A straight man-to-man -man defense by Rutgers, but the Friars really aren't running much. Open three. Got it. Ryan Gomes nails the three. That's why he's a preseason number one team selection coming in. They leave this with 139 to go. 77-62. Oh, my. Wow. This is Gomes. Up and good. The chance for a three-point play. Execution by the Friars. Ryan, I, I just said, one of the best players in our league, and starting to be look, look like one of the best players in the country. I don't know what else I can say. And if you want me to say stop, I stop. Right. Nice job staying with him there in the post. He can make these, and he does. A three ball for Gomes. They're as close as they've been in the second half. 27 for Ryan Gomes. You want me to say stop? For the fifth time, I'm stuck. All right, so put five times. How you doing? And Delkin, don't take it. Cobb can shoot it. McGrath has to shoot it from the corner. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the first ever Friar Pod Series, hosted by FriarBasketball.com and the Friar Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, joined by Kevin Farahar, of FriarBasketball.com, and we are elated to debut this Friar Pod series on the 2003-2004 Providence Friars. This is a team near and dear to both of our hearts, as Kevin had just graduated from Providence when the 03-04 team was on its magical run, and I personally remember this team from playing NCAA 2006 the video game with Donnie McGrath making as many threes as I could back in the day. This team, as I mentioned, was special. It had the likes of Ryan Gomes, but it was well known for beating the 2003 national champions, the eventual 2004 national champions, and a 2004 Elite Eight team in Alabama. Kev, can you give the listeners some context to start of how good this team really was? Yeah, Billy, for quite a while, they, they were a great team. If you look at how they were playing in that 03-04 season, it really started the year before. You know, you look at the teams they beat. They beat that Syracuse team that had just won the national championship. And admittedly, they had Carmelo Anthony the year before. But, you know, they still had Akeem Warwick and Jerry McNamara. They were a great team. They beat UConn at UConn, who went on to win the championship. That Alabama team they beat early in the year was an Elite Eight team, like you mentioned. And then the Illinois team they, they beat, which, you know, was a big, big win in Madison Square Garden, which was a memorable part of that season. You know, that Illinois team had... I think five NBA players on it and they, you know, they were, they were great the next year that that core started the season 29 and 0, and they were basically the top team in the country the entire season. So they had some huge, huge wins. And of course, some other big games as well, we'll, we'll talk about, but I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about this team. Yeah, Kev, three winning streaks of five games or more. We would certainly love that as Friar fans nowadays. The only Friar team to finish the season ranked in the AP Top 25 since 1976 and the highest seeded team to make the NCAA tournament since the expansion. What did this team mean to the state of the program? Yeah, Billy, a couple things. You know, I, I think for one, they really showed that Providence could win at a really high level. We talked about the teams that they beat. You know, that they beat a who's who that year. And they were playing at elite level. They were winning on the road. They were just a really good team on both sides of the ball. And I think for Providence fans, you know, the, the 01 team had kind of stopped a couple 
kind of tough years that they had, but it felt like a bit of a fluke. They made the tournament no one, but they really struggled the next season. They struggled almost all the season after that until this team started to turn it around. Then 03-04, they were just phenomenal for most of the year. You know, I, I think that's, of course, the big takeaway for people is the end of the season with that losing streak. But when they had it rolling that year, they were playing at a really, really elite level to the point where I thought they were had a legit chance at an elite eight or maybe even a final four run. So digging a little deeper into why we're doing this for all the fans out there, like why are we choosing the 2003-2004 Friars, especially when they closed out their season 0-4 to end and, and an unfortunate end to a magical run. When we think about this team, we think about resiliency. We think about chemistry. We think about Ryan Gomes's unlikely rise to All-American status. And we think about a defensive juggernaut of a team that played the zone about as tight as anybody that we've ever seen in a Friar uniform. We're doing this because this team deserves the credit and deserves to be brought back up in the Friar stratospheres. And working on the Friar podcast directly, I've been able to interview a good amount of guys um, who were alums around this time period. And this is this is an era that I really want to highlight and, and show some love to because since we've been successful in the tournament in recent years, this is a team that sort of gets forgotten about. Kev, would love for you to share, you know, what you've been working on with FriarBasketball.com and why you've wanted to handle this project. Yeah, Billy, as far as the why for me, you know, I I wanted to write about this team for a while. I actually had approached Bob Walsh about it over a year ago, just thinking I'd love to write an article, kind of get in depth about them. But the extent that I wanted to cover it, I didn't think I could in an article. And, you know, when I heard your podcast this year, I started thinking like, oh, this might be someone cool to partner with because he does such a great job with the pod. And maybe we could do like an in-depth podcast about it. And then over the last, you know, two months or so, I released a new venture with Fire Basketball. We're moving to sub stack more of a weekly newsletter and subscription kind of site and I really wanted to start off with kind of a big bang right and and to me that's what this is going to be because this team to me there's so much to dig into like we we found out we asked the coaches and the players what happened at the end of the season we got all their opinions on that but beyond that I you know I this team is about so much more than the losing streak at the end of the year and I really want to dig into all the, you know, how the team was built and when they really had it rolling, how the feeling was and kind of get a feeling for just how well these guys remembered the season. And as, as you know, Billy, I mean, just the recall they had about this team and the games it was really amazing 17 years you know, ago at this point, and they still really remember it well. And it seems that the guys really kind of cherish those years as well. So I just really wanted to help tell their story. Of all the guys that I've interviewed, it seems that this team in particular looks back on on their experiences so fondly, like even many of them played professionally, both in the NBA and overseas for years, but they look at this team as one of the most special teams they've ever been a part of. They were 20 and five heading into March, ranked number 12 in the country. Like this is something that we're not accustomed to as Friar fans. And this team believed that they could go out and beat anybody on any given night. So I know we've had the chance to kind of pump things up a little bit, focus on some key pieces that we interviewed for this project. They were Donnie McGrath, Sheku Kaba, Marcus Doughton, Ryan Gomes, and Coach Bob Walsh. So we're going to get into some interviews and some different snippets from the guys and some things that we covered with them during our time we spent with them. But to start things off, Kev would love to talk about how this team came together, how the 2002-2003 Friars became the lead into a magical season in 03-04. Yeah, so Bill, I think the big thing with this team was Really, the 2003-2004 magical season doesn't happen unless they get really hot the year before. 
and they were they were down. I mean, they really were. We talked about it earlier, but for about a year and a half, they were really down. There was a game that they played at St. John's where they went on a huge run. I think they scored like 55 points in the second half. And the real key to that was uh, Tim Welsh, who was the head coach at the time, had really shortened the rotation a bit. And he went with you know, the 2-3 zone and, and really went with Marcus Douthat and Rob Sanders. And that turned things around. And it, it's interesting. The guys who played, they remember this game specifically. You know, Sheikou Kaba had a huge dunk. And the big thing for that was that at that point, they switched to a 2-3 zone. And they just started filtering everything to Marcus Douthat. And Marcus turned into a great shot blocker his last two years. He averaged over three blocks a game. And that really got things rolling. And it seemed like for the next probably almost 13 months, they just played great basketball from that point going forward. From the Bronx, New York, guard Sheku Kaba, class of 2004. Well, that year, we started out in the bag. We started out bad that year. We started out real slow. But then we got hot that year. We played our first game. We was down 14 against St. John's. I remember we was on the road. It was down 14 at the half. The coach switched the whole lineup. He switched everybody, he changed the whole lineup. He started the five that wound up playing in the 03-04. And then we turned it around. So we knew from right then and there that we were going to build from that because now we understood how to play and we knew how to win. And he put the right people out there. In the beginning, he kind of like was, he wasn't really sure on who we, you know, his, 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 uh, his, his, his starting five was kind of shaky at the time. But when we turned it around was when we went to St. John's and we went on the road. We won a lot of games and we wound up going to the NIT that year. Then the next year we were like, we were ready to go. That 03 04 team. That's so that was so 02, 2001, 2002 was something like we had to learn from that to carry it to 03 04. That's why we were pretty good. From Syracuse, New York, center Marcus Doughton, class of 2004. Well, this is the thing, like, we kind of. We kind of knew that that year at St. John's, they didn't really have a good shooting team. They was good at penetrating, so we went in the zone. You know what I mean? It, it kind of worked. We was working on it in practice a couple of times, and we were shutting we were shutting guys down. We were like, maybe we should try it. And Syracuse was very successful with it. So we was like, let's just try it. And we went into it, and St. John's couldn't do nothing with it. They really couldn't do nothing with it because they was never a shooting team. You know what I mean? So we felt like we packed it in. It was kind of tough for them, and it kind of worked out. And that's how it worked out. You know, we just kept going for it. You know what I mean? And it, it worked. From Waterbury, Connecticut, forward Ryan Gomes, class of 2005. Coach Welsh switched up the lineup going in the second half, and he went with Rob and Marcus um, along with, you know, me, Donnie, and Sheku. And I think uh, that we were down 16 or something. Then we started pressing St. John's. Then we started playing zone, and I just – think you know Tim Welsh looked at that and said next year will be you know the way that way we finished that game and just uh the way we played the zone defense I think he really liked our athleticism on his own defense and we were getting a lot of easy scores of course he had to figure out ways because you know back that year we didn't shoot the ball I don't think that well from three-point range um and that with that unit I wasn't shooting a lot of three-point shots Rob was playing more interior Sheku was shooting some, and Donnie, uh, he was the point guard, but he wasn't shooting as much as he did the next year. But when we had Maris and Chris, we had a three-point threat out there. But I think defensively, we're, we're giving up a little bit. So he switched that up. We were able to come back. And I think going into that junior year, he just, the momentum and what he liked from that, the end of that season, he wanted to go with that to start of my junior year, 0304 season. From Katona, New York, 
point guard, Donnie McGrath, class of 2006. Yeah, it actually was that St. John's game. You know, we, we were kind of like different lineups were working, different lineups weren't working. And then halftime of that St. John's game, I think we were down at the half, right? And um, we came out with that lineup that was me, Sick, Rob, Ryan, and Marcus. And we, we played amazing in that second half. And that was like the, you know, like the light went on. It was like a switch. And that became our crew. And then even, even the five of us became really tight as, as friends off the court. And that's what led us into, you know, the, that stuff, my sophomore year, knowing that we were going to be, we were going to be a problem for teams and we were going to be a force. So it was definitely that second half at St. John's. Kev, in your memory, you mentioned Marcus Dowden, you mentioned Sheikh Ukaba. What was really the turning point for the 2002-2003 team where they realized, okay, we could be really special going into next year? Yeah, so I think there were there were a couple of things. You know, I, I think that St. John's game got rolling, but just defensively, all of a sudden they became so much tougher. But the big thing was they went on the road and they beat UConn, and that was, um, you know, that was a, an impressive win because, you know, everyone remembers Ryan Gomes playing so well in Connecticut. He was a sophomore that year, but Marcus Douthat was a junior, and he went out and had nine blocks. He completely dominated the game inside defensively. And, uh, and that was a shocking win. It might have been on UConn senior night. It was late in the season. And I think at that time, UConn had really kind of had their way with PC for a while. And all of a sudden, you kind of saw what PC was morphing into. You know, they had an emerging superstar. You know, Gomes turned into, a I think he averaged 18 points and nine rebounds that year. He was an all-dickies player. All of a sudden, the defense was anchored with Douthat in the middle and Rob Sanders covering a lot of ground on the wing and Sheikh Kaba and Donnie McGrath. So it just felt like it was really coming together. And that UConn game was when you really thought, like, OK, they're onto something here. Ryan Gomes, class of 2005. Yeah, I was just talking to one of my friends about this, too. You know, I, if people don't remember, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys do or some people do remember that freshman year when I played against Omeka Okafor, you know, at UConn. You know, he blocked my shot, I want to say, like five or six times that game. So, you know, ever since that first game, I will, you know, we both were freshmen at the time. And I was, I was upset, you know, that I couldn't, you know, I was, I was do well against Marcus in practice. He was a great shot blocker. It was a prep before I played against Okafor. Um, and I just didn't play well. And he blocked my shot so many times. So that really, you know, that really stuck with me that whole summer. So I was ready when we played in that sophomore year to make sure he wouldn't block any of my shots. And I don't think he blocked any more shots from that freshman year when I when he did that sophomore, junior, uh, the, the next four times I played against him. So that game at Gamble, I was, we were out to, to prove something uh, to them. And it was on campus and we wanted to really have a, you know, really good game. And like you said, Marcus did a great job. He, he blocked shots. I was able to score some baskets close around the rim and not let open for, you know, alter or hinder any of those. So. That was my uh, my motivation going into that game. Sheikh Ukaba. And I seen Ryan in, in the game. And before the game, we got there, Ryan Gomes, um, I kept talking mess to him on the bus. I was like, yo, Mecca Okafor going to beat that shit. I kept talking to him. Excuse my language. But <laughs> I would talk to him and tell him that Mecca Okafor going to punch that. You better, you better come with some moves. He said, I got something for him. And I said, yeah. Man, Ryan Gomes had 28 and like 10 or 12 or something like that. He was hitting them with everything. Like, I was like, oh, my God. If he's playing like that against UConn at Pavilion, then we must be really that good. So I was just – me, I was always giving it to him because I knew he would make the pass. So I would give it to him and spot up and wait for the three ball, and I'm, and I'm going to hit it in the corner. 
Everyone knows that's my spot in the corner. I'm going to light it up. Marcus Dalton. Well, honestly, uh, it, it just came from my, my teammates having confidence in me. And I was kind of telling them, you know what I mean? They, they play hard up, up front and I could see everything. I was like the anchor of the defense. So I would just tell them, you know, sick no. Well, Sheku, he knew that, you know, just send them to me no matter what. Because I was just send, just basically shade the defense to me. And more than likely, I was, you know, I was going out to everything. You know what I mean? And it was basically, they were just looking for the fast break. So as soon as I blocked the shot, they was looking to run. You know what I mean? And, and and it worked out for us because a lot of guys think that, you know, in our zone, we had a lot of guys fooled. They think, oh, they get past Donnie or they get past, you know, Rob on the wing. And they think that they're good. And then I come from the weak side and block the shot. Next thing you know, we're in the fast break and Donnie throwing it up to Rob for alley-oop. So it kind of worked out for us. You know what I mean? When you think about Marcus Doughton, think about he had a very strong freshman year. Like he was a, he was a great contributor. But like going up against the Nemeka Okafor was another ball game for him, especially going into sophomore year. He's out here, you know, he's out here getting blocked and he can't really finish on the offensive end and he's not doing well on the defensive end, which we ended up knowing him as, you know, being the anchor of the 2-3 zone. And I think that there were moments in the seasons leading up to 2003-2004 for somebody like a Marcus Dowden or even a Donnie McGrath, somebody who was maybe overlooked by some of those bigger programs where it's like, hey, we're going to work harder than you. We're going to take that underdog mentality and we're going to beat you through grit and, and, and just straight up resiliency. Bob Walsh, assistant coach. I don't, I don't know that toughness really became uh, because probably in the middle of that season, you'd have a hard time getting the coaching staff to say that Marcus Douthat and Rob Sanders were really tough themselves, you know, um, the way we were playing. Uh, I think more athletic. Uh, I think the length and then going to the zone um, where, you know, we had some guys who just didn't really, whether it was physically or mentally, you know, Rob Sanders was a great athlete, wasn't a guy paying a lot of attention to detail defensively, right? He's relying on his ability, you know, going up and blocking shots, deflections, steals, making plays. You know, Chris Anron and Maris Laxa, not the most athletic guys, right? So, um, you know, they weren't sort of the playmakers. They were just trying to kind of hold down the fort defensively, um, but also did provide some length and some size at the wing. So I think playing more zone, I, I don't know that toughness was really a factor. Getting more athletic uh, was part of it. But the truth is, we really, really struggled that year. And we were trying a lot of different combinations and things, you know, and, and I always, I, I didn't feel great going into 0304 because I was like, okay, we had a good three weeks. I think we lost to Georgetown at home in the NIT to end the season, right? So it's, you know, that's not your goal to start. So there was a ton of energy from our fans for that team moving forward, which I appreciated. I think it's maturity. Uh, I think it's mentality. You, you know, it's just interesting as a freshman and, and on that team that was, you know, was really good. You know, that, that first team Marcus's freshman year, we played 10 guys. There were a lot of guys playing, you know, roles but not necessarily stars right it was sort of a some of its parts type team then I think when you come back as a sophomore you think okay you know I'm going to be really good now now it's my time now I'm going to play 30 minutes now I'm going to do um you know it, it never seems to go as you would expect and I think I think quite honestly I think Marcus would tell you this he probably had a little growing up to do um I think we could have done a better job certainly with him um 
just establishing his habits, not allowing him to, to just rely on his ability, but develop him better physically and mentally. And then I think, you know, look, I, I think Coach Welsh's best teams were ones that had juniors and seniors because they've kind of got over that hump of like, okay, personal expectations, you know, the little stuff that maybe bothers you as, you know, as a sophomore, after you played a decent amount as a freshman and had some success, there's a lot of like, well, why am I coming out? You get over that hump, which I think guys like Shea Kukaba and Marcus uh, were able to do, and even Ryan as well. I mean, Ryan obviously played a ton, but uh, there's, there's a comfort level going into the season when you're a veteran, knowing what's expected of you and knowing how, how you're going to be coached and, and what coach means when he says this or that. So I think it was a maturity for Marcus that he sort of grew up. And I think, honestly, we could have done a better job. I mean, my freshman class, we came in with high expectations. We came in looking to challenge the upperclassmen for minutes. And we felt like we were on the same talent level as them. So the whole preseason, you know, getting ready before the season starts, it was a lot of... It was a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, testosterone levels pretty high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, we were challenging those guys. And plus we knew that, you know, the situation that happened before we got there was kind of ugly. So we felt like, you know, it, basically everything was, it was kind of open. So we all pushed each other that freshman year because obviously we fight for minutes and, you know, upperclassmen was basically trying to tell us to stay in our place. You know what I mean? So Marcus mentioned an ugly situation um, before he came to PC. And I think what's significant about this senior class is that they were really part of kind of rebuilding the program on two different occasions. Uh, Just to clarify for fans who may not be aware, um, before Marcus had got there, the season before, Marcus and Sheku and Maris Laxa and Chris Anron had came to PC, Providence was struggling on and off the court. So in the 99-2000 season, they went 11-19. They had losses to Holy Cross. I think they scored 43 points against Holy Cross. They lost to Fordham. They lost to Central Connecticut State. They lost 10 games in a row at one point, and they finished you know, just horribly that year. But even worse, it was a really ugly off-campus incident in which there was an assault. And PC was looking at assault charges for four players and potentially school discipline for four others. Um, and as it turned out, three players were expelled, two others were put on probation, two of their freshmen at the time had transferred. And then they had Kareem Shabazz was their center at the time. He was flirting with the NBA and they had John Linehan, who was their point guard, who was coming off of surgery for a hernia. So for them to make the tournament the following season was a shock. If you looked at where they were in April or May of the year before, the freshman year of Marcus Dalthit. Sheikou Kaba in that senior class. And I think what's really significant about the senior class and what's make, what makes them so interesting is that they had come in as freshmen. All four came in and contributed right away and were really, really good in a lot of different ways right away. And then, you know, the, the program kind of went into a bit of a lull their sophomore year and a lot of their junior year. And these guys were big parts of kind of reviving the program for a second time. And I think that makes them a pretty significant class in the history of Providence basketball. Well, let me tell you this. Let's start with, let's start with Marcus first. Marcus Dalton, his freshman year was his, one of his best years. That's when it was promising because he did so much. You know, he kind of, I mean, he kind of like, he sailed sophomore, junior, but his senior year was good. But his freshman year was his best year. He was young and it was like, wow, he had a nice touch. Marcus Dow had a nice touch on his hand. He could dribble the ball a little bit. He wouldn't always make the right pass all the time, but he had an IQ for it. You know, it wouldn't always get there 
there, but sometimes you say, whoa, Marcus, you know. So he 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 flashed a lot of greatness, you know, Marcus. Mark, and he blocked a lot of shots. He used to tell me to let the guards go. He used to tell me, sick, let him go. Let the guards go down there, I'm gonna beat it. So I was like setting them up, letting them go down there, Marcus will block the shot. <laughs> When I think about one of the greatest friars of all time, Donnie McGrath, he's so underrated in the sense that from the moment he stepped on the floor, he was, you know, first team freshman, all big East. Like he was destined to be a high performing member of the friars from the moment that he stepped onto campus. And it's funny because his, he'll talk about his recruiting visit. He, he went to a PC camp and everybody was like, wow, like this kid can really play. And I think about Donnie, I think about Marcus, I think about Sheikh Kukaba being absolutely fearless in the moment, in which he'll talk about some of his biggest moments as he went through his Friar career, but he was the glue guy that many of the PC teams of recent years, I feel like, could use um, and was a huge part of the success of the 2003-2004 team. I mean, were there any other things that you saw, like, you know, following the team so closely that really was leading them to greatness towards the end of that season? Yeah, so it was two things. They were, they were playing great on the court to the point where even late in the year, Pittsburgh was dominant that year. They took them, they, they drilled West Virginia in the Big East tournament. They completely killed them. And then they played Pitt really tough. And I think Pitt might have been the number one seed in the Big East tournament that year. And it just got to the point where PC was showing they could play with everyone. And then if you were a diehard, you kind of knew what they had coming too. They had Dwight Brewington and Gerald Brown, who were both top 100 recruits coming in. Dwight Brewington ranked as high as... I think 50 by scout arrivals at the time. And they had Abdul Mills potentially coming back. I and mean, he was their leading scorer in 2001, 2002. And then he missed the entire following season having a surgery. So all of a sudden you're looking at, they've got this really good core of five or six that they were playing at the time, but they were going to add those three. So all of a sudden you look at how they're playing at the end of the year and they're adding those three guys. And you really, you're onto something at that point. And it was kind of like writing the ship at the end of the 2002-2003 season, foreshadowing how well they'd be in 2003-2004. Ryan Gomes. That summer, we stayed. After that sophomore year, we after our sophomore year, my, um, sorry, the 0203 mm-hmm. year, we stayed on campus. Every All the players stayed, and I think that was really what changed our, you know, mindset going into the next season. Not like we planned it, but we, we we did plan to stay. We had to take summer class anyway, but we everyone stayed for both sessions. And then we just would play a lot of pickup. And I think that is what kind of brought us more together, but not in a way that we, you know, we planned it. It's just that everyone stayed. We had competition. We played two-on-two, one-on-ones, five-on-fives. The Brown players would come and play. The URI guys would come up and play midnight basketball. So I think that brought us closer, and we got to really know each other's game by playing so much that summer. I knew how hard we worked in the, you know what I mean, the off season. I knew all the work we put in. I mean, guys stayed that summer and we stayed and we put in work and, 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 and we, I mean, we did everything together that, that summer and, and we knew what it took and we knew the feeling, you know what I mean? And, at the, and, and we just all worked. I mean, we've seen the, the European guys, you know, we've seen Maris, we've seen Chris, they was in a weight room gaining 25 pounds and, you know what I mean? Sick was getting, you know, Sheikou was getting stronger. And, you know, dining them was now, you know, they, they had a year in them under their belt. You know what I mean? So we, I just felt like we had a lot of expectations. Plus, we was we was always kind of comparing ourselves to the guys down the road, which is UConn. You know what I mean? They was always competitive. So we like, what, what what's different? What do they got going that we don't got going? You know what I mean? And we knew in our heart, we knew that we were better than a lot of teams. And that's, we just carried us 
swag. We carried, you know what I mean? We just carried it on our shoulders. And every game, you know what I mean? It's just like a, a running car. It just get warmer and warmer and warmer. <laughs> you know, on campus, it was fine. You know, on campus, you know, I was, I was, I was cool with everyone, you know. Uh, it was more when, when the games came, it felt like it was just like, the, the, you know, the Fry Fanatics were just different people. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I fed off that energy. I fed off, you know, the people supporting us, myself, you know, in Gomes, we trust shirts or, you know, just they had got Gomes with a question mark. Just those little things that had me, you know, believe, you know, seeing like, wow, this is this is a big ordeal. And I always just remember, I remember where I started from, but about to be, you know, red shirt. And I just was just like, you know, I want to continue to ride this wave. I want to continue to you know, play well for myself and play well for the fans that are supporting me. Um, so I was able to do that. Yeah, seeing a billboard on 95, it was just like, wow, wow, this is just, this is unbelievable. So, you know, support from all the people, you know, Tim Welsh, you know, I, I, I tip my hat to, to coach Welsh for, you know, trusting all of us, but also listening to our ear of how we wanted to kind of play and, and the, the success happened. But Bob Walsh was, like you said, you already gave him a, a shout out, but I got to give him another one because he was like, you know, the mastermind, you know, with everyone, you know, balances our players, our playbook, uh, you know, pushing each other, pushing us against each other, letting us know when we weren't working hard, when we thought we were. Um, Rob McClanahan, another guy who's, who went to Syracuse. That's my guy. Shout out, but he went to Syracuse. He's an orange man. But, you know, offseason, me and him had a you know a special relationship. He helped me, you know, improve my game on the perimeter, improve my game in ways that, uh, you know, the coaching staff as well. But um, I did a lot of off-season work with him. So Rob McClendon was a big part. And he's setting up a lot of the runs. Ruben Garces going against him in the summertime, you know. Uh, so there's been, you know, endless amount of people who contributed to our success and to my success at Providence. And, you know, the fans are just a part of, you know, what helps, you know, everyone grow. And, I, and I'm thankful for the Duncan's donor support from everyone there. Well, coming off the year prior, uh, we had had a really inconsistent year the year before, but uh, right around the middle of February started playing better, uh, you know, which sounds a little bit like a recent Friar team that I know of, but uh, kind of put it together, started playing better, actually went to the NIT, won a couple of games, I think, and pretty much all of that team was back. I think Ramil Augustin might have been the only, you know, significant piece that wasn't a part of next year's team. So we had some experience uh, with guys and, and we sort of, I don't want to say we figured it out because you never do, but we had some success the year prior with all that experience coming back. So I think the mentality of our team was, uh, you know, this is, this is, could be a, a really good year. Um, you know, one of the things I think we'd probably go back and do differently is, uh, identifying, you know, roles a little bit better with that team, um, you know, so that, you know, Rob Sanders, that 04 team, right? Rob Sanders got hurt. Dwight Brewington stepped in. Um, we never really sorted out that mix as the year went on and Rob came back and Dwight was playing uh, and guys like Chris Anron and Maris Lax, I believe, Tuka Koti maybe weren't playing as much, um, you know, we just kind of so so I don't know how you would have changed that going into it because you don't really know what you have until you put it out there and and remember that team 
I mean, it's interesting. You, you talk about one of the greatest Friar teams of all time or what, you know, the, the highest seed ever in the NCAA tournament, that team lost to URI, lost the last four games of the season. You know, those aren't two things you'd probably say about classic, really good or great Friar teams. So it took us a little while to bring that team together uh, with some really tough losses, which I'm sure we'll get to, uh, you know, the one at home against Texas. Uh, but trying to sort out, and I don't necessarily like the word chemistry, but our ability to play together with so many different guys and different, different lineups after injury and after guys showing us some stuff that maybe we hadn't seen before would have been something that we, you know, could have looked at earlier uh, and hopefully figured out better they were trying to build as much team chemistry as possible. Like everybody got along, like Marcus talks about it, how everybody was cool with everybody. Ryan still to this day, you know, after playing 10 years in the NBA stays in touch with members of this team. And I, and I think this is a great transition to kind of highlight who was on the roster at the, at, at that time. And I'm just going to tee it up here first with, of course, Ryan Gomes. I mean, Ryan Gomes, Waterbury, Connecticut product. His recruitment was pretty underwhelming. The highest, offer he got was from your Providence Friars, ladies and gentlemen. Like he wasn't a high level recruit coming out of high school. Yeah, it was um, getting recruited. It was, you know, Providence was the biggest school, you know, conference wise, you know, the Big East, you know, back then still is now, but back then, you know, it was just fame with talent, fame with all the professional players that made it to the NBA, all the, you know, games that were on MSG when I was living in uh, Connecticut that we got on our local cable channel the St. John's versus Georgetown's the Providence versus UConn's the Notre Dame's and Boston College all those games um whereas it was the conference to be playing in but I also had uh Creighton University which was in Omaha Nebraska recruiting me at the time and also Dayton um the Dayton Flyers were recruiting me as well the two schools those two schools recruited me because of my talent they see me in AAU but also I had a, a my the point guard I played with, uh, Mark Jones, had went to Dayton University. And then I was playing up as a junior. So the senior, when I was a junior in high school, I was playing with a lot of the seniors. And one of my senior point, the point guard was named Ismail Carroll, went to Creighton University along with Terrell Taylor as well, who's from Connecticut, who hit the hit the big shot. Creighton was in the um, NCAA tournament. He was at the United Center. He was acting like he was Michael Jordan. I think they beat Florida in that game. If I'm not mistaken, but uh, so those that, those the recruiting ties for, to those two schools, and then at Providence, it was right up the road. Um, it was the Big East, like I said, the biggest conference. And my mom was pregnant with my little brother, who is now going to be 21 in September. Uh, so that was uh, you know, one of the main reasons as well that I went to Providence is because of the recruitment um, through the coach Steve DeMeo, who was the big time recruiter, and also Phil Seymour. Tim Welsh, of course, the head coach, Bob Walsh, of course, the assistant, but coach Steve DeMeo was a guy I used to always see at a lot of AAU tournaments that I was playing with. And he had a, you know, a close eye on me um, ever since I was a junior in high school. And um, that, you know, commitment for them recruiting me um, also swayed in my decision of me choosing Providence um, and being close to home. Gomes recruitment was actually pretty interesting at the time. The rules have changed now, but at the time, Division one schools were allowed to host recruiting events. Now you can't host recruiting events. So there was always, there was, there was a hoop group jam fest every spring and every fall uh, that was held on campus in the Peterson center at Providence college. Uh, and it was actually a pretty big advantage for us. Uh, we got 
an, a lot of recruits who did not come on official visits because of that, because they had been on campus for a weekend, you know, the best AAU teams in the Northeast played in that event every year. And they were essentially unofficial visits. We could show them around. We could bring them into the office, you know, talk to the coaching staff. So uh, one of the unique things about Ryan's recruitment was uh, he never took an official visit until after he actually committed, which is kind of unheard of these days. Uh, he had been to campus a bunch. Um, I'll never forget talking to Steve DeMeo about him. And he was kind of like, yeah, he's a little bit undersized. He's a little bit overweight. Like he doesn't look the part, but every time I watch him play, no matter who he's playing against, no matter what level of competition, he gets 25 and 10, you know, and we had a good relationship with his AAU coach, all of us, uh, Wayne Simone. And, you know, we were, I mean, I mean, it's, look, it's a terrific recruiting story. I think his other offers were Siena uh, and maybe Creighton at the time, who wasn't, you know, at a high major level at the time. So, um, you know, we certainly, I don't think we knew we were getting an All-American for sure. Uh, you know, in his freshman year, attest to that where he missed, maybe our first nine or 10 games because we were going to redshirt him. And, you know, I always thank, uh, thank the good Lord that he was able to break the all-time scoring record. Cause if he finished a couple of points short when we had sat him 10 games and then took the red shirt off him, that would have felt awful. But uh, you know, certainly in the mix as, as one of the greatest, you know, big East players and greatest friars of all time. And he had no expectations to kind of just come in and dominate and, and just be one and done two years in and, you know, may, maybe test the waters in the draft. Like, like th this was a four year project for him. He even said it himself. I mean, you know, coming into to Providence that, you know, I love the game of basketball. I would say I was late bloomer and playing basketball right when I was around 13, uh, 12, 13. I really started playing, you know, like going to play at, you know, on organized teams and doing those type of things. So. I was a late bloomer with my, you know, growth in the game. And when I was going to, when I got the scholarship, even though I played well in AU, I had schools offer me scholarships. It was just like, I got four years to hopefully play well. It wasn't like I was thinking about, you know, I could go here and possibly play overseas or even, even thinking about the NBA. It was like, I want to maybe get 10 to 12 minutes as a freshman, hopefully get 16 to 18 or maybe 20 as a sophomore you know, 20 to 20, you know, 24 as a junior. And then maybe I'm playing 28, 30 as a senior. Uh, that was my, my mindset going into Providence. So, you know, competing, of course, is part of it because you want to be on the team. You want to get some opportunity of playing. But like you mentioned, you know, there was upperclassmen and Leland Anderson, uh, Garnett Thompson, who was coming in um, from junior college, would have been also a junior. And then we also had two other freshmen that we were on the team that were forwards. We all, pretty much played the same position. Uh, Rob Sanders, more athletic, so he was playing more of a small forward, but Tuka Cotillo as well, 6'9", taller than me, can play a little bit um, on the perimeter point guard And when he was coming from his home hometown, uh, I mean, overseas. And uh, we also had Maris Laska, Chris Aaron, who were on the team before that, Rome Augustine. So it was, I don't want to say log jam, but it was just a lot, of, lot going on. So the expectations was just hopefully get an opportunity to play um, some minutes. And then when I got mentioned, uh, when they mentioned that I will possibly get redshirted, um, that hurt because I felt like I was competing and I was doing well in practice. But I also thought about they were upperclassmen. But also, like I said, they were better 
they were bettering me at the time with knowledge of the game and, you know, understanding. I came from a high school where, you know, it was just kind of in AU where it was like, you know, kind of like it is now, but it was more throw it up and play. And, you know, the, the play schemes or knowing certain things, I wasn't there like some of the other players. So I knew that was a, you know, I was a step behind as well. But rebounding the ball and scoring in the paint, I was there with doing those things. So getting that, you know, you're going to redshirt, you know, I just tapped in with Coach Bob Walsh. He was my best friend. He was the guy who, you know, would, would tell me, you know, ARG, you should get some more work in after practice. Like, you know, I know don't hang your head, just, you know, you know, prove us wrong. You know, let's just, you know, get in better shape, lift extra weights, run extra sprints, get extra shots at any opportunity you can. We're going to make you do it anyway because you're redshirting. We're thinking about redshirting so you won't play in like some of the exhibitions. So I had to do those things when guys were going back to take a nap. I was, you know, running sprints or, you know, doing suicides or 58s with Coach Bob Walsh. And I just wanted to prove to them that I was ready to play when the opportunity, whenever it presented itself. It was going in to look like it was going to be the whole year. But then, like you said, I got an opportunity. Yeah. And with, with Ryan, you know, it was interesting because at the time, it wasn't just that the expectations weren't that high for Ryan. They brought a lot of guys in who were going to potentially play his position in the same recruiting class. Like Ryan was there. They brought in Tuka Koti from Finland. And Tuka at the time was being billed as a six foot nine basically a guard and he was a really first versatile player but they had Tuka. they brought in rob sanders who we'd mentioned it was an athletic freak they also brought in a 6-9 junior college all-american garnett thompson who they really thought was going to play alongside marcus and take the place of kareem shabazz who was um a really good center they had and then they also had leland anderson who was a transfer a local guy from attleboro mass but he um you know he went to michigan and transferred in from pc so Without knowing much about Ryan Gomes, you're, if you look at on paper, they have a junior college All-American, a transfer from Michigan. People are going to look to those guys, as we know, as fans. You're going to look at all the criteria and the, the billing they got coming into PC. And Gomes just didn't have that. And obviously, we saw it where he, he sat early in his career. Uh, Ryan was a little bit overweight. We wanted to get his body in shape. He, he wasn't the greatest practice player. He didn't have great habits. Now, he wasn't terrible, but he didn't. He just kind of you know, like a lot of high school guys, he relied on his talent. You know, my take on it was the mistake wasn't necessarily Ryan Gomes. Um, we had on that team, I believe it was Leland Anderson and Garnett Thompson. Uh, and we thought those two guys were probably going to be better than they actually were, right? We were expecting a lot of production out, out of those guys. We really didn't think there was any room uh, for Ryan uh, and I will say this, it was Vince Catero, who was our director of operations at the time. He was the one guy who was talking about Ryan Gomes throughout the preseason and throughout the beginning of the schedule, his freshman year, who said, I think we should play him. And nobody else really agreed with him. I mean, Vince was the one guy who was like, you know, I, I think we should play him. And, um, you know, I hadn't seen that sort of edge in practice that you needed. Uh, he was a good player. And, and look, one of the things is you don't redshirt kids who you don't think are going to be very good, right? The last thing you want to do is redshirt a kid who's not good enough. But uh, yeah, it was really that we had those other two guys. We didn't think there was room for them. You know, Ryan needed to get in better shape. Uh, and I give Vince Catero credit because he was banging the drum the whole time that we needed to put Ryan in the game. And we threw him out there against South Carolina and he just, started getting double doubles right from the moment he stepped on the floor. He surprised me every, every, every summer because he got better and better. I mean, at first he came in and he was just a post player. And then 
he opened up his game and he was on the wing. And then from then he extended his game even more. So, I mean, Ryan got better every single year. You know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. he deserved every single thing he, he, he worked for because like I said, no one knew, of, no, no one even thought of Ryan, you know, Waterbury kid. He was, you know, he came in a little overweight and stuff like that, but Ryan just kept working. He didn't care what no one said. And it was, it was just, it was like wildfire. <laughs> it was wildfire. Man, those, those eight, those seven games that I didn't play and those, uh, you know, the exhibition and then just even sometime, I think on campus when we had the black and white scrimmage, I think I really didn't get to play, you know, as much because you knew, you know, the guys that were going into the season. So all those times, you know, I was, I was upset, of course, they were cheering on because I have four years, like I said, but, you know, you, you know, I was kind of, you know, looking at the other freshmen that were getting opportunity to play, I felt like I was doing well, but, you know, I didn't get an opportunity to play. So once South Carolina came and they told me um, the day before, like tomorrow, you know, get ready, you know, I think, I, I think it was Leland, somebody had to sprain their ankle or some, something happened with someone tweaked their ankle and said, we're going to give you an opportunity. And I remember saying, I've been waiting for this opportunity. So I knew this would be my only chance, you know, in my mind. I don't know if the rules were like this, but it was like if that game I didn't play, it kind of felt like the rest of that whole freshman year would have been done. I don't know if that was the, you know, deciding game of if I didn't play, I was going to be redshirted or not. But I said, you know, there's nothing I can get back. I'm getting an opportunity to play. Just go out there and play as hard as I can. Let them know all these practices. Now you get to show people on TV. My grandmother was at the game. It was just something that, you know, I just was like, this is my opportunity. And I, I took full advantage of it. And I explained to kids now, it's like, you know, you never know when that you're going to get that opportunity. But first impression, uh, you know, I want to leave a mark. And hopefully I was able to stay for the rest of the year, and, and which did happen for me after that game. What's the conversation like with the coaching staff when right away you put up that 15 and 8 or whatever it was? Is there <laughs> some acknowledgement there part like, oh, whoops, we probably should have been playing you? Well, well, no, I wasn't like, you know, we lost that game. So it was still in the locker room. You know, we need to get back. We need to do a lot of things better. But, you know, you know, they singled me out a little bit because, you know, I haven't played. That was my first time playing. But this is the type of effort and energy we need to play with if we want to be, you know, um, we want to be a good team and move forward. You know, this guy's been practicing. He's been working extra hard and looking at the game. You know, I was able to play well. And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you guys, I think Tim Walsh is, I'm going to tell you guys, he's going to be playing a lot of more minutes as well when we get back to Providence. So from that point on, I just, you know, it's only one game, which happened in South Carolina, but I knew I had to, you know, in order to play, I, I, it, it could have been a luck, but it was also like I have to get back in the gym, don't get excited. There's only one game, and I just try to keep using motivation, try to be better every game that I play from that point on. His freshman year, he didn't play his first six games. They was had him on. They thought he was going red shirt because he was out of shape. He wouldn't make none of the times, you know. And then we went on the road and played against South Carolina on the road. But then Ryan Gone started that game, and he had 16 and 8. And after that game, he started every game in his career. That was his turning point right there, that, that South Carolina game. And, and were you guys at, at any point frustrated that he wasn't playing consistently? We were like, yo, this guy's good, like he should play? Nah, because Ryan's attitude, the way he was, he was just so laid back. He wasn't uh, he wasn't a person that to come like, like say what he wanted. He wouldn't demand anything. He was like very soft-spoken, but he knew how to play. That's one thing you know. He was very soft-spoken guy, you know what I'm saying? You know, he wasn't like a he wasn't like a guy that would come and demand anything. It was like you had to give it to him, you know. So, and that's what he did. He, he waited for his time, and he went he went on the road and started that game. He had sixteen and eight, 
And after that game, it was like 19 and 10, 15 and 12, 17 and 10, 20 and 10, 20. He, he got hot. He was just like, he, he, he got good. He was always smart, though. Ryan was one. Ryan might be one of the smartest players I ever played with. The thing about Ryan is Ryan didn't, right? When Ryan came in, Ryan was just kind of happy to be there. You know what I mean? And, and and he was just, you know, playing his position. He was basically looking to come in and, and just, you know, get better. And that's all Ryan was worried about was getting better. And we had Garnett Thompson come in, who was the Juco transfer, and they had high hopes on, on Garnett. When that didn't pan out the way they thought, Ryan kind of stepped in and, and Ryan kind of, took over i mean he he kind of blossomed you know what i mean he 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 became a man real quick but he took his opportunity and he ran with it i mean ryan deserved every bit because he was working harder than anybody because he was trying to get off of the the, the red shirt uh list because that's what they were talking about when he first came in so ryan was already mentally knowing he was gonna red shirt because you know ryan was a i mean not ryan but garnett was a big time player that was getting recruited in junior and junior college so Ryan didn't think he had a chance. And when he had that chance, he, he, he ran with it. In terms of the roster, like we go up and down here, Rob Sanders, somebody who's been mentioned on my show multiple times is like an NBA level talent, just, just a freak athletically, but just wasn't going to finish it out at school and just had a little bit of a different experience with it, with an injury and things just didn't line up for, for Rob, you know, in, in his Friar career. Dwight Brewington, another friar who came in, had a ton of promise. I know, Kev, you can speak to his recruiting background. Ended up transferring to Liberty in a surprise move. Yeah, so Bill, let's start with Sanders. So, you know, he was a really interesting case because he was just an athletic freak. And I think he was kind of known more as an athlete. He was a guy from Connecticut. And if you look at his first two years, he didn't hit a three-pointer his sophomore year. I think he hit like six his freshman year. And then he came out his junior year and he shot like 40% from three, but he was just a complete freak. Like some of the dunks he did, some of the recovery blocks he had, he was an unbelievable athlete. And he, you know, he ended up leaving after the 2003-04 season, he ended up leaving school, but he was a huge piece just defensively. And he gave Providence kind of a, an elite level athlete that they don't normally have on the wing. Rob was just, he was just a walking ESPN highlight. That's what he was. And we've seen it. I mean, I mean, I knew what he could do and, and he always surprised us. Like, you know, coaches said, the scout report on Rob was he can't shoot. Literally, Rob was in the gym working every day on his jump shot. You know what I mean? And then Rob got – Rob already was athletically off the roof. It was just like basically he just needed that green light and that opportunity. And, and we've, seen, we've seen so many flashes in practice. We've seen flashes in, in workouts. We've seen it, – it was nuts. And he, he we would talk about it like – we you know, we go to dinner and we laugh and joke about it, and then Rob would come out and do it in a game. And so I was like, you know, Rob was. I mean, he had the best situation. He was playing on the wing. He's six seven, more more athletic than anybody at his position that year. You know what I mean? And then if you look at Dwight Brewington, I was a huge Brewington fan. He's a Massachusetts kid. He was a player who was billed as six foot five could potentially play point guard. And, and I watched Dwight a lot. I kind of tracked his career. I've been a New England prep nut forever. He, um, he did a prep year at Worcester Academy and they were a great team. He had a, he played with the guard, Steve Haley, who went to Boston college. He played with a couple of D one players and, but Dwight was by far the best player in the team. He was just really, really, really skilled. And, um, 
you know, fans at the time will remember Dwight was, he was deaf. So that was a big story of like how they were going to potentially, how the coaches work with him and how that worked when the arenas are going completely insane. But Dwight was just so, so talented. Six, five athletic, really defend, pass, shoot, rebound. He did everything. You know, I, I think with Dwight, it was more a matter of like, how's he going to fit into the system? Like, what's his role going to be? And we found out later on the season that he, he found a big role as a freshman. With those guys with like Gerald Brown, God bless the uh, rest in peace. You know, he's passed away. You know, they, you know he has passed away. But uh, Gerald Brown, those guys was good. Gerald Brown, Dwight Brewington, they good. They just was young, you know, and I wasn't, and I knew the system more than them. So it was like, you know, I hear Dwight, he's coming in with the swagger and everything, and I he's talking all this talk, and he's like, yeah, I'm starting, and I'm looking at him saying, not in a million years, because <laughs> you're young, you're a baby, you don't know the system like me. I've been here, you know what I mean? But those guys are good players. Dwight Brunson, Gerald Brown, those guys are good. Those are solid players. If you know, It just was that coach went with the experience. He went with the experience, and it was, he made the right decision, because that's what that's why we made that run and we was beating teams. We was actually going into on the road and winning. And that's big in college. If you go on the road and win a big game, that's huge. I mean, Tuka Koti, another just another glue guy could do it all, you know, provided some shooting and some offense to this team. Just the depth of this team is, is so impressive now looking at college rosters nowadays with the transfers and, you know, so much uncertainty around guys testing the waters and stuff like that. It was like you just had a lot of guys who were dialed in and wanted to win. Tuka was like, how can you say? He's like, uh, he was like the Band-Aid. Like, you know, he cover, he can fix, he can check anybody. And he was just like the utility guy. He bring his tools. He come to work every single day. And he can guard one through five. He never complained. Um, he always, he just know how to play. He was always in a position on the floor. And, and he just put like this. They didn't have a stat for Tuca because he literally did everything great. You know what I mean? Like if we needed him to score, he would score. If we needed him to stop, you know, uh, one guy, he has literally locked them down. If we needed him to knock down a three-pointer, he could knock down a three-pointer. Like it was hard to to to, to match up to Tuca because he can do everything well. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So without him, without Tuca, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have went where we went for sure. He stepped up in big games when when when. Basically, he wasn't even on the scout report with other teams. You know what I mean? Tuka brought a lot of versatility. He could guard small forwards. He guarded centers. He kind of did whatever the team needed him to do and didn't really ask questions about it. Such a strong New York presence, too, on this 2003-2004 team with Sheku and Donnie playing for the Gauchos together, having a relationship before they even came to Providence. Yeah, so my, my recruitment, I, I actually went to Providence uh, on like a high school team camp. I think when I was like a sophomore or junior or something like that in high school. And ever since then, it was just one of those things that kind of stuck in my head. I like the campus. And, um, you know, I think I met Bob Walsh and Steve DeMeo on that trip. At the time, I was probably not getting as, as highly recruited yet. But it was one of those things that stuck in my head. So then when I started, you know, getting ranked nationally and having like big summers, it was the leader already before they even knew it. And then I, I really wanted to play in the Big East and I wanted to start. Starting for me was like an important thing. So I was getting recruited by a lot of other Big East schools, but Tim Welsh came out and told us that you know I'd, I'd be starting as a freshman. So that was, that was really big to me. So that had a lot to do with it. It's a really interesting story. The first time I saw Donnie McGrath play basketball was during our team camp. 
and his high school from JFK in Somers, New York, came up to team camp. It was after his freshman year, and he was playing on court two in the Peterson Rec Center, and we didn't know who he was, uh, which wasn't odd because team camp, you know, generally we're not recruiting guys out of team camp. Uh, generally, it's, you know, it's uh, local high schools from throughout New York and New England, and, um, you know, it's a developmental camp. Donnie banged five threes in the first half of a team camp game. And I was watching it on court two. And I remember going into coach Welsh's office and saying, I don't know what a big East point guard looks like when he's, you know, just finished his freshman year, but I think we should take a look at this kid. And that's where we first started recruiting him. And, and um, Donnie came from a, you know, great family, great people, level-headed. It wasn't like we were convinced and anybody who tells you, um, otherwise is lying. It wasn't like we were like, okay, this is this top 100 kid. We better go get him. Uh, we recruited him. You know, we did a good job with it. He was a, a perfect fit. I always said it, you know, if Donnie McGrath never touched a basketball, he probably would have went to Providence college. Right. I mean, he, he was, he was a good fit academically, um, Catholic school kid. So, um, you know, we stayed in touch with him and it was one of those, like we had a relationship with him and he had spent a lot of time on, on our campus and with our guys. And as he started to progress as a player, I remember it was after his junior year. Now, look, there are always questions uh, about white kids, especially white guards. You know, we just, we have stereotypes where it's like, okay, is he quick enough? Is he athletic enough? Uh, is the game too fast for him? Um, the one thing Donnie had was great size, right? For somebody who can shoot it like that at his size, then you throw in, you know, uh, his, his command of the game and his ability as a leader. But after his junior year, I, you know, we were recruiting him. And I remember specifically, you know, his dad called and said, hey, you know, we're coming up. It was in June, I believe. You know, Donnie and I want to take a ride up and sit down with you guys and take, you know, he had been on campus, taking an official visit. And we kind of got the idea that he was going to come up to commit to us. And I remember sitting in Coach Welsh's office and we were kind of like discussing it as a staff. And it was like, okay, what, what should we do? You know, should we hold them off? Should we take them? Should we, you know, like it, it was kind of one of those like, okay, wow, now he wants to come. Like, now what do we do? And, and came up, he committed, we took it. You know, it, it was tremendous. That July, when the recruiting period started, you know, he had Stanford and he had Cal and he had Vanderbilt and all these big time schools that were also really high academics all over him. And, you know, he had, he had committed to us. But yeah, that relationship started through team camp and developed and, and we were fortunate and um, you know, Donnie, you know, he struggled a little bit his freshman year too. You know, coach Welsh was tough on his point guards as a lot of coaches are. And um, but, you know, one of the toughest kids I've ever coached, one of the smartest kids I've ever coached. And, you know, he's played more minutes. Uh, I think still to this day in a Friar uniform than any other player. Donnie as a friend, I can't even talk less about Donnie McGrath. Donnie McGrath is, one of, one of a kind. That's my guy. I love Donnie with all my heart. I love him. Anytime I see him, we see each other. He calls me. I go out. I hang out with him till today. We stay in contact. You know, Donnie is one of a guy. And as a player, he was one of the guys that like, I know, like, I know he'll make that extra pass to me. That was the comfort of him. And he's going to make the right play. And he knew how to play. You know what I mean? So Donnie McGrath, it was like, you know, 
if you watch some of the games, we, it was the games where we penetrated and kicked it to each other. We fed off each other and we got it going a lot. Like I know where to find him. I know like if I get in, they running to me. I know that Donnie's spotting and I just get make the extra pass. So we had a good relationship basketball wise. And then I guess because we had it off the court, it was so tight that when the game came, we was doing some magical things with that two, three zone. If he ever, if I ever seen him get beat, I would cover for him in a weird way. I don't know a lot of people could understand or remember that, but I used to cover for him and he covered for me. We had it cooking with that two, three zone. Did you know Donnie from New York before you came to PC? Yes, I did. I, Donnie was playing with the Gauchos, but he was playing with the younger squad when I was playing with the um, with the traveling team. So Donnie would always, I used to see Donnie a lot. And then I played in a Portchester tournament in CYO up in Portchester, New York. And I, I seen Donnie there. I, I was playing with the Gauchos and he was talking to me and he was like, yo, you good, man. He was like, yeah, what school are you going to, man? Providence. He was telling me, yo, they recruited me. And then when he came up to the school, when he came up to the school, I was his host. His freshman year, not, not his freshman year, the year before he come. You know, when you come on your official, vi official visit. So I host him around. I was showing him around and he was like, yo, I'm coming. I was like, all right, come on. And we, you know, we, we, we got a great connection. Donnie's my guy. I love his family, his mom, his dad, his brother, his sister. They all cool, good people. They both, the thing about, like, Sheku, he came in as a freshman guard. He wanted to be the point guard run the show. And then we had John Lenahan and stuff like that. So they kind of pushed Sheku to the two position. So when Donnie came in, Donnie came in as a one. You know, he was recruited as a one. And, you know, Sheku was originally recruited as a one when he came in you know, his freshman year. So basically, Sheku kind of groomed Donnie, and then they just had a, they just both was confident. I mean, two New York guards, you know what I mean? They was comfortable with each other. They both was kind of playing off each other. It was piggybacking off each other. You know what I mean? Like, Donnie could come down and run a team. Sick can come down and run a team. It was, it was both. It, it just, it worked hand in hand. Like, Sick was the right hand, and Donnie was the left hand. And it just went to, you know what I mean? It just worked out. You know, Sheku talked about it. The coaches, we're, we're talking about, you know, Donnie going there and him going there and, you know, for the ability for them to team up and play in the same backcourt was really special. You could tell that they have a special bond on and off the court. Yeah. So, so Bill, I think the interesting thing with, with Sheku Kaba that people probably forget now, and, and he talked about this with us is that, you know, he was a true New York point guard. He came out of the Bronx and the interesting thing at the time, of course, New York's known as a point guard factory, but especially when Sheku came in, he came in, uh, the 2000-2001 season. In the 2000, McDonald's All-American team had three New York City point guards, and all three were going to the Big East. You had Omar Cook, who went to St. John's. You had Talik Brown at UConn and Andre Barrett, who went to Seton Hall. I mean, those guys, uh, those guys were good. It was three All-Americans out of New York City, McDonald All-Americans. Those guys was dynamite. It was like everywhere they went, they was packing house. People were coming to watch them, and it could be a regular street tournament. It wasn't like you know, it was like like stuff in the neighborhood they was playing in. And I would like, I would I would go there just because I knew that they were playing. I wanted to play against them because I wanted some, you know, some some notoriety. They went to the private school route. I came from the alternative school. I was one of the first players to ever come out of alternative school to go to a Big East school. So I was, you know, I, I used to go to the games and try to play against them in like ISA, you know, in Queens. You know, I, I played against them at the Rucker Park. And 155th, where you know it was big stages in New York back in those days with basketball. I mean, it still is today. So Sheku was a little bit under the radar, and they found him. I think Steve DeMeo was the assistant, and, and Sheku mentions it. Growing up, I you know I played with the Gauchos, the AAU team in the Bronx. 
we traveled all over all over the country with all against all the top players and 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 one and one trip I went on, I remember I think I seen Steve DeMeo out there. I think it was I think it was in Vegas. I saw the Steve DeMeo in Vegas. And from the day I seen him, he was like, yo, you coming to Providence. He just kept he just kept recruiting me everywhere I go. I started seeing him. I was like, wow. And I was just like, I wanted to go to St. John's at first, though. I did want to go to St. John's. But when Providence came, it was like, OK, I had my own identity because they had Seton Hall had um, Andre Barrett. St. John's had Omar Cook. UConn had Talik Brown. And I kind of was like the sleeper that year. I came from the back. You know, work my work my tail off, and actually got a scholarship, and you know, was able to go to school. So that's how it kind of worked out for me. He was he was a really good find. He's a tough guard, but it was interesting. He was there was all the hype around those three guards, but I think that kind of added a little bit more edge to Shaku when he played. And Shaku was just super tough. I mean, when I got back at Abdul, I'm gonna tell you honestly, me and Abdul Mills, we couldn't stand each other because we were the same guard. We played. We played uh, against each other. We're from the same city. So it was a lot of pressure. You know, we were trying to like, he was returning, coming back from an injury. And then this is my junior year. And I'm like, I'm not going to stay second. I'm not, I'm, I'm starting. Like I'm, you're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grind for this spot and I'm going to outplay you. And I'm going to do what I got to do to, to get this spot. And we, so we couldn't stand each other. We had, a lot of people don't know that, but we had fights and we had fights at school, like at practice. Not, you know, just because it's two people that want the same thing. So it was just like that. It wasn't, right now, me and Abdul, we're friends. I see him. I take picture with him. The other day, I seen him at a tournament in, in Harlem. You know, Black Rob, the celebrity uh, rapper, he, he was playing in a celebrity game. I went over there. I saw Abdul Mills. We spoke. We speak. You know, but at that time, it's like two, you know, two dogs fighting for the same thing. Me and him, we were going at it, and he had got hurt. And then, you know, the team still was like functioning with me out there. He was a natural, he was a great scorer. You know, I played with him um, my, my freshman year. You know, and also John Linehan, I know we're going, we're going, I don't want to go backwards, but John Linehan was a senior vet on that, uh, my, my, that South Carolina game as well when I played in Rome, Augustine um, as well. I just thought about those two when you mentioned Abdul. But yes, Abdul was a leader um, for us in practice. He was at all the practices. He couldn't. He couldn't go to the, um, he couldn't play in the games because he was injured, but, you know, he had a toughness about him. He was a good, another on ball guy that we could have had if, you know, if he wasn't injured, I think would have, you know, gave us a little bit of an, another boost at the guard position, as well as, you know, to give Sheku and, uh, you know, Donnie, you can mix and match, mix and match both of those as well, but they played off each other since we didn't have Abdul, but he was another, you know, electrifying sport and he was lefty. I think that could have, you know, would have helped us out as well. And obviously we had all right-handed players that, that uh, junior year. He brought a level of, of physical toughness from the guard spot. You don't get a lot, you know, I mean, he was a power guard, you know, so um, he was physically tough. He was really competitive. I, I don't know that his skills developed to where he needed them to, as he got older, um, you know, still wasn't a, a great knockdown shooter. And as your name becomes, gets higher and higher on the scouting report, like people are going to figure you out a little bit. Um, he was still trying to muscle guys, I think, a lot and not necessarily, um, you know, having the, the finesse, the nuance, the skill uh, develop along with his physical play. So uh, I think that might have been a factor. Uh, I loved Abdul because of the edge he brought every day. I mean, he brought this sort of 
you know, this element of toughness and competitiveness that's necessary. And, and sometimes, you know, it was on the border of, you know, a little bit too much. Like he was, he was intense, but I think that's something that rubbed off on some of the other guys and they understood, you know, how hard we needed to compete to win. I was trying to bring defense because I watched John Linehan a lot. So when defense, when anytime we played against top guards, they always say, Kaba, sick, you got him. Whoever it was, if it was Andre Barrett, if it was Omar Cook or anybody that we had to play man to man, I had to guard him because I was quick enough to guard these guards. And, you know, I was good. I was pretty solid defensively. I don't, you know, I, I felt like I was out there. I never really felt like I was with one of the weaker defenders. Yeah, I remember you got under Omar Cookskin one game. He gave you a little bit of a cheap shot, I think, your freshman year. Yeah, he hit me in, he hit, he hit me in the balls because <laughs> I caught him down at Dykeman in the basketball tournament in a big on a, in a big city tournament in Dykeman, New York City. And I was playing against them, and they did a, they did a big write-up on me in, in, in my freshman year in college. They came to the school, and they did all the, you know, some, some kind of publicity with Source Sports. So he didn't like that. He didn't like it because I caught him over there, and I might have gave him a 30-ball. <laughs> I mean, this team had so many different storylines to it, Kev. Like, they played their two previous PC coaches, Pete Gillen over at UVA, and, of course, Rick Barnes over at Texas, which we haven't even covered that Texas game and what that feeling was at the buzzer or just the crowd at the dunk that night. Like, it was, it, you know, it's just an all-time great PC game. I could think, I could literally think of, like, Sean McDonough calling that game in my head. Yeah, that, I mean, the Texas game was unbelievable. People now say... You know, at least since I've been going since the 90s, that's a top two or three, probably number one in crowd they've had in the last 30 years. That and the game itself was wild. We'll talk about that with the players, but having Rick Barnes come back and having PC kind of peaking, they they were nationally ranked heading into that game. It was an absolutely unbelievable atmosphere. And then what was kind of interesting with playing Pete Gillen, I think they ended up playing Virginia three seasons in a row with Gillen there, three out of four years. One was in a tournament, and they had. They played him at Virginia that year, and they did a number on him. That was a game they just completely walloped Virginia. And interestingly, they came back the very next game was against Rick Barnes in Texas. I mean, this team just had so many storylines. And, and and just to kind of like set the the stage for some Friar fans who, who weren't watching at this time, it was like our recruiting class who ended up being seniors were – it was Sheku. Marcus Doughton, Alaska, Chris Anron, and Donnell Alec. So, he, so Donnell Alec, kind of a sad story. So he so he didn't come in with the 01 class because he didn't qualify. He came in the next year with Ryan in, in that group. And he ended up leaving. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of tragedy that kind of happened with this team. Donnell Alec was actually murdered in his house, I think, around 2011. Uh, so he was a really young guy. And Gerald Brown, similarly, in, in Baltimore, just in 2019, he was murdered at probably 34 years old. And uh, incredibly morbid here. But, you know, Dwight Brewington, when he was at PC, you know, his sophomore year, everyone remembers that Dwight transferred after starting really strong the sophomore year. But during that sophomore year, Dwight actually had four friends that were murdered in a recording studio in Dorchester. So there was also a lot of kind of tragedy around this team as well, and, and still is, obviously, with the recent passing of Gerald and, and Donald and obviously Dwight's friend. So definitely a lot with this team that that's kind of heavy. But yeah, Donald was, Donald was part of that class, but he didn't have... You know, he didn't really play much here, and I think he ended up transferring after a year, and obviously his death was pretty tragic. 
No, this team, this team had every sort of you know storyline, every sort of up and down that you could possibly imagine coming down to the last four games of the year and which just did not go their way. Something that was interesting about this roster is that there were a lot of mouths to feed. Like there was a lot of high level players. Like when the freshmen were coming in, you know, Dwight Brewington, you know, looking for playing time immediately and, you know, looking to be a part of this team from the moment that they stepped out on the floor. You know, in today's college basketball game, it's not easy for coaches. And I can imagine that it was not easy for Coach Welsh, which we haven't talked about Coach Welsh here yet. And would love to kind of hear your thoughts on his run and, you know, how he made these 2003, 2004 Friars so special. Yeah. So it was an interesting time for, for Coach Welsh. He really, he had a huge rebuilding job when he first came here. You know, he had Jamel Thomas and John Lennon and some really great players, but the cupboard was pretty bare. They had, they had Aaron Maxey, who was probably six five, six, six, two twenty playing center for a couple of years. So it took him a couple of years to kind of get the program where he wanted it to be. And it felt like this was the period where he had it there. They had Gomes as a junior. Donnie McGrath was a really steady point guard as a sophomore, was a borderline top 100 player. And then you brought in Dwight Brewington and Gerald Brown, who are both easily top 100 players. You know, Gerald out of Baltimore was a great recruit too. But with that, you're sorting things out as playing time wise. Well, that's the thing. Like Dwight came in and Wilson came in. They came in as like, they was flashers. They wasn't more slashers. So they wasn't really like a Donnie or, or like sick. Sick was like, you know, Sick came into school as a slasher, but he left as a shooter. Sick was a knockdown shooter. Then he became a defender. And, and, and it was just like what they, what we needed. And I think that, you know, Dwight came in, he was amazing. Dwight came in. He, just like, you know, our freshman year, he would just, you couldn't stop him. Honestly, you couldn't stop him. But I think, uh, and and they just was trying to add pieces to what we already had going. You know what I mean? Being like a freshman like Gerald and, uh, and Dwight, sometimes like, you know, even if they were as talented as they were, they might not have been as ready. And, and Sick had really come into his own as a player. So, and we had a really good chemistry playing together. So I think that, you know, we we obviously had a good crew. Those guys helped, but um, you know, six six experience was was huge for us too. That was going to be a challenge for for Tim Welsh. So is as talented as the roster had been, they're as talented as he had had. That was going to be a big challenge for him. But in a way, it kind of worked itself out. You know, Abdul was never healthy. Gerald Brown, I think, was deemed academically ineligible for the first semester. So they were going to redshirt him until that crazy Texas game. Like they just basically threw Gerald in there on a whim. thinking maybe he can give us a spark. We're down 20 points. But, um, you know, this to me was the apex of Tim Welsh's career. They really just had it rolling at this point. And we wouldn't be talking about Coach Welsh without a Coach Walsh. So, so not everybody knows. Maybe you do know because you listened to the Friar podcast episode with Coach Walsh. But Coach Walsh has followed Coach Welsh initially from the start of his career when they were at Iona together. And he ended up making the move to Providence with them as well. Coach Walsh, I mean, what to say about him, number one, he is a great guy. You know, like I said, I've had him on the show. I love love his personality, love his energy. But not, there wasn't one player that we interviewed for this who just didn't give him all the love in the world and just all the credit for kind of bringing the guys together and keeping the glue on tight when the season was starting to kind of fall apart at the end. Yeah, and, and Billy, just really quickly on Coach Walsh, I think the thing that I love about him so much is he just seems to get PC, you know, and, and I think unless you – been around the program or around the city you don't fully understand it he's the guy who just really appreciates and understands providence basketball and what makes it special and that's why he's really fun to talk to and i mean he donnie mcgrath said it best you know when we talked to him he said coach walsh is like an encyclopedia i mean he like all the guys but especially coach walsh remember specific plays and how they felt going to each of these games and it was so wonderful just 
being able to kind of go back and forth with him as a fan who remembers this so well because he remembers it in such great detail. His passion for the PC brand just makes me so happy that he ended up making his way back to PC um, after all those successful years at Rhode Island College. Kev, I think there's a lot to say about this team, obviously from the tournament, obviously from the marquee wins against the old Big East. This was a Big East on any given night you were going to play a ranked team. You know, the Pitts, the West Virginias, the Boston Colleges. Like, if we could just chat really quick about some of the guys that they played against in the in, in that 2003-2004. Like, let's even talk about that Boston College team. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, they, they played BC late in the year and lost to them, and everyone thought of it as this, this terrible loss. That BC team was a tournament team that went to, I think, the second round. They had Craig Smith and Jared Dudley and Sean Marshall. They were a really good team. And Ed Cooley was an assistant back then for, for BC, too. So, I mean, that was basically a lower-end tournament team in the Big East at that point with that level of talent. And then, of course, you're looking at, you know, Pittsburgh and UConn, who were very much national championship contenders at the time. You had Syracuse, who, like we mentioned, still had Hakeem Warwick and Jerry McNamara, who were first-team all-Big East-level talents. Notre Dame was really good. They had a point guard, Chris Thomas, at the time. And PC had a heck of a time winning out there for quite a while until they beat them that year at Notre Dame. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some Seton Hall made the tournament. They were on a really good, good run at that point. So the league was, the league was really, really solid. So for, for Providence to be basically vying for first place in the league for most, most of the season was really quite a testament to how good this team was. Absolutely. And then you had the teams like Pitt, who the guys said like to play on the road at Pitt back then was no easy task. You had Aaron Gray, you had Chris Taft, UConn. I mean, we, we'd be remiss not to give some credit to our friends 45 minutes down the road in Storrs, Connecticut here. I mean, that team that in, in 2003, 2004, Ben Gordon, Ameka Okafor, Charlie Villanueva, Josh Boone, Marcus Williams, Hilton Armstrong. The fact that we were able to do as well against that Connecticut team as we did to the, to the point where Ryan Gomes was getting under Jim Calhoun's skin. You want me to say I fucked up? For the fifth time, I fucked up. All right, so put it five times. It's crazy. It's just crazy to look back on. And it just shows, like, we were talking to the guys how this team just doesn't get enough credit, and that's exactly why we're doing this, because they were special. And, and, and they truly weren't afraid of anybody that they went up against. They had tragedy, unfortunately. They had ups and downs. But no matter what, they were always gritty, they always brought it every every given night, and at the end of the day, they'll be remembered as one of the better Friar teams of all time. So with that being said, would love to kind of kick things off, Kev, and talk about the beginning of the 2003-2004 season. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Friar Pod series, hosted by FriarBasketball.com and the Friar Podcast. If you like our content and you've enjoyed this Friar Pod series, please follow the Friar Podcast at the Friar Podcast on Instagram and at the Friar Podcast on Twitter. And please be sure to visit FriarBasketball.com. We'd like to thank Kevin Farahar for joining us. And we'd like to thank all of you for listening. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.